0: 7.51 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, November 1st, a date I'm going to be saying three different times, and then the episodes are going to come out a little bit differently. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined by a special guest, my friend, my main event uh, partner. We, we, we divorced uh, amicably, but uh, Dusty Wagner, I, I, the, the, the pupil wanted to try it out on his own, and maybe I should come back, Dusty, because uh, it didn't go well in my first year. You didn't teach me well enough. How's it going, Dusty?
1: Hey, what's going on, Paul? Thanks for having me today.
0: Now you've been doing work with Arbor Pro this year, correct? Yes, yes. I'll be with them uh, next year as well. That's awesome, dude. Um, yeah, you've been a long-time uh, high-stakes player in the NFBC for quite a while. Uh, like I said, we we linked up the first couple of years to do it, and um, you know. You warned me off the bat, though. I should have known going my first year it was going to be tough because you said it's going to be hard. It takes a few years for even, even the best of the best, those guys that are way at the top and the, the known names. They took a few years to get going. So as it relates to NFPC or just high stakes in general, how long have you been doing it, and what is it about the, those leagues that makes the learning curve so steep?
1: Uh, well, you know, I, I've been doing this more or less for like ten years. Um, I started in St. Louis a long, long time back. They don't even go to St. Louis anymore. Uh, I think the the number one thing that makes it so hard is there's just a lot of people out there like us. Mm-hmm. So, like you, all these all these listeners, all these there's so much information out there to to, to process, uh, where everybody has access to it. So the, especially now more so than like 10 years ago. Um, so you, you, the competition's way better than any ESPN league where everybody quits after the first month, the Yahoo mm-hmm. League. You don't get a lot of practice in those leagues. So like you, you're used to dominating your leagues, but you don't know how you're dominating those leagues, uh, I think is really the general kind of consensus. And then you come into the NFPC where everybody's playing it out.
0: Yes, yeah, sometimes Generally. it's just effort that wins wins those leagues, yeah. the, the sticking with it for the six months. But in this league, you know, 14 out of 15 teams at least. Maybe there's one that kind of falls off. They're just really bad club, and they've got six clubs. But for the most part, you're talking 13, 14, 15 of the 15 teams are, pre- are, are fully to the grind for all six months.
1: Yeah, and people aren't used to uh, A the higher level of competition be the activity in leagues, you know, and, and that, that, you know, can easily affect like, you know, pick you picking up some stud in, in April, you know, or, or may when half the teams have quit and in, in these leagues that you used to, and then all of a sudden you come to the NFPC and you don't get that. Uh, and then you're kind of just lost. You have mm-hmm. no idea uh, uh, on how to compete.
0: What are uh, what are some of your better finishes over over the last decade uh, that 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 you've hit with your? Because I know you don't just play the NFBC main event; you play in uh, different leagues like the Platinum and the Diamond. You can explain a little bit what those are. But what are some of your best NFBC finishes thus far?
1: Uh, I think a couple of years ago, I split first uh, in the uh, uh, MTM Ultimate um, in New York. That's a five k league, so we split that actually thirty uh, k. Uh, between me and another owner that didn't we were basically uh, head to head and didn't want to play out the final three weeks so we kind of uh, made an arrangement outside of the nfbc to to go ahead and
0: say yeah no matter who wins we're gonna go ahead and split it that's awesome um uh,
1: i was in the platinum with uh, another who i learned from uh uh, steve jupinka as far as fab goes And, and we got third place in platinum one year the running, the running joke between me and Ham was, if, if it goes well, it was all him. If it goes bad, it was all me.
0: Of course. Uh, and that yeah. should have been between me and you, like if we had done well <laughs> yeah, because of you. And if we did when we did poorly, it's, it's my fault for sure. Uh, that's the teacher-student dynamic there.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess. I guess. Uh, you know. You I've mentioned had a top
0: Fab. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'll, I'll let you get back into that. But uh, actually finish that because then I'll, t- I'll take you because you said Fab and I want to take you down another road there. But what else have you done?
1: Yeah, no, I, I've had the top ten team in the OC. That was a fun ride. That's awesome. uh, Yeah, that that that's that the actually online w-
0: championship. That's what? The, uh, yeah, the three fifty
1: entry point. Yeah,
0: how many teams is that? I mean, that's insane. I th- yeah, it's like sixteen
1: hundred to eighteen hundred. I think. Yeah,
0: you know, Greg always pushes it up every year. That's the RotoWire online championship. That's three hundred fifty hour entry, and there's a main event to that as well. And this year it was at twenty one twelve. Yeah. 2,112 teams. So it's always around, you know, it's always like a minimum of 1,500 clubs that you're facing off against. So what is it about the uh, the main, the overall competition? Is that something that's drawn you to these high stakes leagues where you're not just facing your league, but you're in, a, in an overall league? And for those that don't understand that, basically, if you're in a 15 team league and you have the most points, you get 15 teams. If you're in the OC, uh, the online championship, and you have the most points, That means that you got twenty one hundred and twelve points and on down. It's it's just a massive rotisserie league uh, at at the grandest scale. Is is that part of what drew you to these uh, to these high stakes leagues? Uh,
1: I think first of all, it was just I I I wanted to test uh, myself out against against the best. Uh, I think the the prizes have definitely kept me around. uh, You know, searching for that big carrot. Uh, you know, a, a lot of new players just kind of come in. They're, they're very focused on the league.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I, I think a lot of the guys that, that know these games, uh, you know, whether or not they have multiple teams in, in, in these formats, they, they draft a certain way. So like, yeah, you know, they're going to take a high touted rookie because if he hits, he's going to, he's going to get you more points in the, in an overall rather than in your league. And they're not necessarily worried about losing their league. Yes, you know, they want to win. It's not, they're not going in just like shooting to lose, but they're they're going high risk, high reward, rather than playing it safe a lot of the times.
0: And balance, um, because you can't have yeah. any one category punted to win an overall, really.
1: Yeah, I, I know Justin loves to punt batting average. Uh, and it, it's one of, that category especially is the, the one kind of new players just forget about, and it's so hard to manage in season.
0: It really is because I mean, you don't know where it's going to come from. A lot of the best batting averages drafted because those are the best players overall, so it can be really difficult. Um, I mentioned earlier, Fab, you said that that's how you learn from Jopinka. Uh, is that the biggest learning curve here as far as the, the high stakes leagues managing Fab week to week and get a one thousand dollar budget? There's no zero-dollar bids, so once it's done, you can't pick up anybody. Is managing that over the course of 26 weeks the most difficult part of the high stakes?
1: A hundred percent, I believe. I think that's the biggest learning curve. I, you know, it, it took me at least three to four years and thousands of dollars uh, mm-hmm. to, to learn Fab. Uh, you know, it's 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 always changing too, so it's it's never the same. You know, uh, e- even with you know some more information on high stakes players coming out saying how to manage fab or whatever, you know, it's, it's, you have to kind of like look at your league specifically on top of kind of what the group think is, you know, like, you know, 10 years ago, five and zero were one of the most, you know, used numbers, you know, uh, yeah, as far as landing the five, and, 25
0: yeah,
1: or $30. Yeah. So, so everybody adjusted. So now like three and four and eight, and nine are one of the most used numbers. So it's almost like five and zero are back into play. And and what I mean by that is, so like, if you think a player is worth $9, just go 10 on them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you might get outbid with 11 and 12, you know, but if you're, if you were thinking, okay, I'm only going to bid seven to nine, just go the extra dollar because uh, statistically, you know, eight, nine are more used than 10 and five.
0: So people are are adjusting there. And again, like you said, that's always an adjusting market. And that's definitely been the biggest area of opportunity. I felt like I had a better season this year with it. The team itself just really wasn't uh, geared up to compete. But that's something that I paid major attention to across all my NFBC leagues. And, you know, the difference between the 12 and the 15 is night and day. So that's just another learning curve there that you're – so if you play main event – and then you you go into the twelve teamers, uh, or, or vice versa. If you start with the twelve teamers, and then you decide, hey, I'm going to do main event, you you're pretty much starting the cycle over again because those two league types are so vastly different with the Fab.
1: Yeah, uh, with especially with the twelve teamers, I, you know, I I feel like I'm a much better uh, Fab player in fifteen teamers. Twelves are kind of a crapshoot. It just is. They're wildly clearly dependent. Yeah, it's you know a player can go for three hundred in one league and fifty in the in the next. And uh, it, it it's kind of you you just ha- kind of have to stay more disciplined and not worry about the high bids because overall at the end of the year you're gonna you're gonna be in better positions uh, to 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 get players down the line that you need.
0: Yeah, those last six weeks in the twelve team having the money to really get I don't know the Tommy Edmonds, the Gavin Luxes when. You're really looking for stuff, it, it can be really nice. And, you know, sure you're gonna miss out on an on an Alvarez every once in a while and he was worth every nickel that you put up this year. But obviously we talk about the Fabapalooza, the the big one in May that a lot of people blew their money on. I, I agree in twelve team. that they, there's still gonna be game changers, but I think they're fewer they're they're not as plentiful with their being a more robust wire. So live in the you know, $30 to $120 range instead of really ever getting into those 300-plus guys is probably going to be the better way when you judge it over a course of 26 weeks with the 12-teamer. In the 15-team, sometimes you got to go out and spend for the big dog, and you you hope he's more Alvarez than Austin Riley, but you never really know. Um, What else do you think is a big learning curve when you're going into the NFBC high-stakes pool from a standard home league besides Fab?
1: Um, uh, I, I think when drafting season comes, you know, uh, you know, I know a lot of people mainly, you know, stick to the the, the online championships and maybe don't really get to experience a main event. Uh, I, I, I promise you it's worth every penny of it for those thinking about, so uh, about yeah, especially in the live event. It, there's just nothing like the main event, but then the other thing that's really a shell shock and you'll see it even in the, it'll, it'll kind of, uh go over into the ocs but it's really prevalent in the mains is come come those march drafts like adp is just out the window you know so if you're if if, if you're really just been all winter like looking at adp and like okay i can i can get this guy around here and whatever you, you you'll get to these march drafts and a lot of these sharp players know okay everybody's taking them around 60 i like this guy i think he's a top 20 picks i'm going to take them at 40 and then you're just shocked when that happens Mm -hmm. Uh, so if you're if you're planning quote-unquote um on getting some guys like that you know be very very careful especially come march it's it's a little bit safer you know uh during the winter months or whatever adp you know it's a guide most people stick to it uh you'll still have uh players you know go get go get their guys but it's very very prevalent uh come march
0: yeah i I totally agree and you really do see see the guys start to zip up because if they've spent all winter highlighting these guys that they think are going to win them the league they don't want to lose them and you know missing out on that guy to to those folks is important so moving them up 20 spots 30 spots just doesn't feel like the biggest deal and so you 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 get your guy and you plan for the high end to be taken as opposed to, uh, the, a, the ADP bargains, uh, moving away from the, the general talk of the NFBC leagues. Let's talk about 2019. what you really learn from the season this year? Obviously we had the crazy ball and everything. Uh, what were some things that you took away from the season as it relates to your fantasy leagues that you might be able to take with you in 20?
1: Well, uh, pitchers are still hit or miss, right? Uh, You know, I, I think they're by far the most volatile asset, but they're also the biggest reward asset. Uh, Mm -hmm. just for, for example, you know, if, uh, I went, I went, uh, Blake Snell in in the second round in our main event, uh, if I would have gone Cole, who went to the overall champion,
0: uh, after
1: us. Yeah. We had the
0: overall champion in our league, by the way, that was fun.
1: Yeah. We, we contributed to that. So you can thank us. Uh, that, that was just, that move alone was worth 15 points in our league. Wow. Uh, so that kind of just shows you, like, you know, if you nail your pitchers, how valuable, that, uh, especially ace aces, which is why aces get pushed up in, in mm-hmm. high stakes leagues. Uh, they're just that valuable. Um, you know, that, uh, the other part is trust the process. You know, like, look, look back at, at okay, what, what did I do wrong? you know, uh, in the leagues that you didn't cash. And then what did you do right in the leagues that you did cash? Uh, see if there's any similar similarities, uh, see if a, the process just worked, just the wrong players, you know, like, you know, if your thought process of, 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 okay, I'm, I'm going to go two aces uh, with my first two picks, you know, is the draft theory incorrect or did you just have the wrong two pitchers?
0: Yeah, because um, if you got Verlander and Snell instead of Bauer – or uh, Verlander and Cole instead of Bauer and Snell, that's saying the p- process works on one and doesn't work on the other. So you have to be cognizant of not just using your results and actually uh, making sure that you're you're doing good uh, analysis of it to determine whether it was the players or the strategy, or a mix of both, which sometimes it is.
1: Yeah, and, and, that's, and that, that's the thing. You know, uh, a couple years ago – you know, it, it's kind of a well-known strategy at this point. I know uh, uh, the the billionaire uh, that almost bought the Mets used it, uh, in the MTM Ultimate and won this year. Uh, kind of the same thing I did when 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 I cashed. It's you know, again, game theory where you have a thousand minimum innings that you can get to. Starters are the the most uh, sought after asset um, in these leagues, so you know, I came in thinking, okay, I'm going to let everybody else buy pitching and I'm not going to buy pitching. Uh, you know, so there, there's different strategies out there. There's different thought processes. And that's what I'm talking about as far as like, okay, did the draft theory work or did I just have the wrong players? Cause the mm-hmm. day, very next year I did the same thing and tanked just with the wrong, t- wrong players.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so that's why, you know, probably a single sample is not even best to determine whether it worked then that's why you have to be critical with it and say okay you know maybe i was uh maybe i was on the right path here let's try it again with players x uh, and y who are in the same draft range and see if we can run it back as far as you know pitching still it's interesting to hear you say that right because some people are running away from pitching now that the there's the juice ball and we don't know what we're going to get right we saw that the ball looked a lot different in the playoffs but are they going to have more of the regular season ball for 2020 or is it going to be more of the playoff let's assume it's it's relatively similar to this year are there anything is there anything specific on the environment that we just had that's going to alter your draft strategies for 2020
1: uh, i think it pushes those aces up even higher uh i know that's not what the uh the the early guys drafting think you know uh, i'll, I'll I'll be very, very curious to see how you know th- this draft season st- you know starts out at least in December and January if pitching is going higher or if it's going about the same. Uh, I think come March though, you know, having a Garrett Cole, you know, Jacob Degrom, like with their types of good seasons with this type of ball, they're going to separate themselves more than the quote unquote average pitcher is, mm-hmm. uh, which to me makes them more valuable. Whether that ball is homer-prone or if the ball is more non-juiced. Uh, it, it's just going to be more crazier stats for them.
0: Yeah, it really is. And then another thing I want to make sure people don't make the mistake of doing is pushing power down. There's that that weird thing of like, oh, there's so much power I can weigh and It's like it goes the other way, actually. There's so much power that you need to have a lot of it to compete. So those 20 homer guys that are available late, I mean, it's all a scale, right? You know, the, yeah. so... You know, you need more 30 homer guys on your team. Your, your 20s from everybody do, doesn't get you there. So you need a 40. Um, you need a couple 30s in the middle, and then you're getting those 20s late. So you, you have to make sure that you're getting enough power. You don't want to be power starved. I did my draft out in Arizona, and that's that's what I came away with is that it's very power starved, and it wasn't a plan. I wasn't I wasn't eschewing uh, power by any stretch, but it just wound up a little weak. So we'll see how it goes, the 27 rounds that start in January, but I definitely need pitching from there. Um, Let's talk some specific players. First off, have you done any drafts yet? Were you in part of the two early mocks at all?
1: No, I was not. Okay,
0: so you haven't done anything yet. I know you started some of your rankings. You wrote up some uh, shortstop ones, gave me a little preview of that. But let's talk some individual players here. Uh, Based on the early draft stuff, basically the two early mocks is all we're really going off of. Who are some players that you expect to fade? Let's start with batters first. So there are a couple names that you're looking at their early price that you're saying, I'm not paying this for whatever reason. And then we'll get into the reasons who are a couple batters that you're looking at first.
1: Uh, I'll give you one in the first round and probably one in the second round. Uh, one, my first round guy is probably going to be Trevor story. Um, okay. You're fading. I know you're a bit. Yeah. I know you're a big story guy. So this is, this is a shock to you. How,
0: how dare you? Uh, <laughs>
1: Um, I just think a you know you've covered covered it in another pod. Uh, shortstop's just super super deep. You know I'm That's I'm true. really big on Turner Lindor and Bregman above story. Uh, I think story stolen bases are going to go down. Uh, I think 15 is probably going to be his max. Um, I think his his average is going to go down. You know he he didn't hit as many barrels at, uh, this year, uh, and his bab was a little bit higher than his 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 average for his career uh he's he's kind of almost become like a cores only type hitter you know uh where in the past he he kind of was uh more neutral on the road he's really really suffered on the road
0: and uh really tough home road splits this year yeah
1: yeah so i'm kind of more believing in, in in that i'm not saying he's just gonna fall out of the sky but you know he is still an injury risk uh I'll just probably end up going a different way. Uh, I don't fault anybody necessarily for taking him still, but he's just—he's not going to be my my guy come come March.
0: Well, you mentioned the depth at shortstop too, and that might even have me leaning away from the position early. Anyway, I, I, I like Turner as well. I mean, I like I like a good number of those guys uh, that do populate the top of the order there. I have Storylandor, Turner, Bregman in that order, but you can really take those four and kind of jumble them up however you want. And even if you miss out on them, you still got Bogarts, Tatis Jr., Mondesi. We gotta wait to see on the surge on the later surgery. So I'm not really touching him until March, if at all. But then I haven't even mentioned Baez, Torres, Marte, Tim Anderson. So it might just be smarter to lay off the entire position early on, and dive into it in the middle and later rounds because there is so much value there uh, with so many great shortstops. Who's the other one in the second round that you're looking to fade?
1: Uh, Jordan Alvarez.
0: Oh, okay. And for those that don't know, you're an Astros fan, so you're up close and personal with this. Is it the UT only thing, or, or where where are you with Alvarez, and why are you fading him?
1: So there's a couple of things. I, I think the the... The UT is is a thing, you know, even at his best, uh, you know, Cruz was only going in the fourth round. Poppy was only going in the fourth round. Uh,
0: but they were always you know, values, though, too. I think, I think that they, those were bad drafts, uh, you know, bad spots for them. People were letting them go too long, personally. But now we have the younger guy, so people are elevating him to, like, the second round.
1: Yeah, I think the Yankees may have figured something out. Uh, that, that's kind of what I, I'm thinking. He really, really uh, did not play well uh, kind of in the playoffs, uh, you know, yes, it could be that Bellinger type thing where you I was going to
0: say that. Yeah. It reminds me of that. Bellinger, Bellinger kind series.
1: of suffered in the playoffs and, and then came back. Uh, but the, the one thing about, uh, Alvarez is a, I think they're going to shift on him a little bit more than he saw, uh, uh, early on, especially as a player. Uh, the other thing is he's never really had to adjust. If you go look at his minor leagues, you know, he, he's just always kind of just cranked it out, cranked it out, cranked it out. Uh, and I'm just kind of going with baseball history a little bit, and just saying, like, yeah, I know he's an unbelievable talent, uh, but it, pitchers are going to spend time this off trying to find his weak spots if they haven't already. Uh, you know, is, again, I think he's more of a two category player. You know, I think the average comes way down. I think he's going to be more of a, you know, two seventy type hitter. He, the, the homers okay. and RBIs are going to be there, but sure. Uh, I think the batting average and with no stolen bases and hitting it kind of like the six hole, five hole for, for Houston really isn't going to give them that many
0: runs. So that's Alvarez and Houston going in the second round does fill your UT only. I should, I would say, don't let that really dissuade you too much, but the situation that Dusty's talking about where, you know, the high heat and the buried breaking balls from righties and lefties really uh, took their toll on, on Alvarez in the LCS 12 strikeouts in 24 plate appearances that was brutal. Now he did bounce back in the World Series, although from what I saw, the Nats weren't approaching him the way that the Rays and Yankees did, and he was actually decent against the the Rays too. It was really, it was really a lot against the uh, Yankees that really brought those numbers down. But yeah, it was high heat and buried breakers that uh, uh, on the outside that really kept him off balance, and um, I don't think that the Nats really approached it that way, and so he wasn't doing a t- of damage as far as like the impact of his hits, a lot of base hits for uh for Alvarez and the one homer, but at least he bounced back and ends on a little bit of a higher note, but you're fading him in the second round, which I understand. Frankly, at 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 their prices, I'd rather just take Cruz, despite the fact that he's 15 years older. I know that's a huge age gap, but give me the guy who just keeps doing it and people remain afraid of because he's old. Let's talk about some pitchers that you're gonna fade. Um, obviously this is a more open field. I think people can, ha- it's, it's more of a, an art versus the science on pitchers that people will fade them. There's not as much consensus once you get after say the top 12, 15. So who are a couple pitchers that you're, that you're leaning away from next year?
1: Um, Charlie Morton's kind of the first guy, uh, his price has doubled from last March. Uh, he's going to be 36. His hard hit percentage, uh, has been trending up. Uh, his fastball, you know, velo and spin rate were average, you know, he's throwing more curve balls, which is more stress on that elbow, uh, you know, because that's, that's his best pitch. Uh, yeah. You for know, sure. he, 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 he pitched the most innings in his career last year. Uh, basically the price is kind of built in saying, you know, he's going to do it again. Uh, there's just a lot of negatives for me. Uh, and, and I'm still going to try to trust Astros analytics a little bit on, on why they let, let him go. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather be a year too early than a year too late on, on a guy like uh, Charlie Morton,
0: especially with somebody who's going to have to be your number two. And, and he's, he's up there now. Uh, the pitchers he was drafted around are Giolito, Otani, Syndergaard uh, ahead, just ahead of him. And then Grinky, Bauer, Paxton, Barrios just behind him. And, and so if you just play the age factor there, if all the skills are pretty similar, then maybe you go for the guys who are younger because like you said you do want to be the year early as opposed to the year late and he did drop off a decent bit off of his velo last year I mean a great season for Charlie Morton without a doubt but the velo did dip uh who's another pitcher that that you're uh leaning from
1: uh kind of a little bit later Lance Lynn you know it just feels like a career year for him you know he's going 400 basically one of the last five rounds you know last year last year uh, now he's going 160, which is generally that that kind of area uh, in, in a draft where I t- try to take uh, kind of like a an, a positive ump and comer. Like you know, that tenth round is kind of my uh, like, all right, let's let's go for the the high ceiling type guy. And he's he's more of a you know older pitcher. He's in Texas. You know, uh, his walk rate last year was only 6.7% when he's averaged close to nine to 10% for his career. Like, can he do that again? You know, sure. But uh, I'll, I'll take his career numbers over one year. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that whip is repeatable. I think the strikeout will be there. Uh, but I, I think the, the, the whip, you know, Texas is a bad team. You know, he does pitch deep into games, but I'm not going to trust that wins or wins are going to be there. Uh, so that that's the other guy I'd say. fade.
0: Yeah, Lance Lynn going like you said at about 160. Guys around him: Zach Gallen, big time uh, poster boy that's getting a lot of love as as a next up and comer. In fact, his price might might rise from there. Eduardo Rodriguez, Caleb Smith, Herman Marquez, Matthew Boyd, Frankie Montas, Jesus Lazardo. You see a lot of guys who could take a leap and become something much bigger. It's hard to really put that on Lance Lynn. If anything. The, the prudent move is to bet for some regression, maybe not a full fade into 2018 when Lancelin had a 477 ERA and a 153 whip, but something closer to, I don't know, he had a 367 ERA this year, give him like a 394 on the button and a 130 whip. I understand a little bit of uh, trepidation with him. Let's get positive, though. Let's talk about some guys that you're looking at their early price thinking, hey, I'm going to buy. Uh, on this, as long as it doesn't get too much higher than it is right now. Let's, let's start with the hitters and talk about a couple of hitters that you're looking to buy at their early, early draft prices.
1: Uh, I, I'll, I'll stay in, in my home, home ballpark for these two hitters. Uh, George Kyle, Springer's number one.
0: And then Kyle Tucker. Is, uh, yeah.
1: I got to yes. die on this hill. I have to die on this hill. <laughs> uh, so Springer is basically getting drafted the exact same spot he was last year. I don't know necessarily what this guy has to has to prove to move up the draft boards, you know. He's he's definitely a three category player, and if the average kind of stays, you know, he's more of a four category with just a couple of uh, stolen bases, you know, jumbled in there. But you know, he, his price seems like it's based off of the 122 games. Like I I don't uh, I don't think he's a 160 guy a uh, 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 game guy, but I mean he is a 140 to 150 game guy. Uh, at, at batting atop of one of the most po- potent lineups in the major league. So uh, that that's one guy I'm, I'm buying huge. Kyle Tucker, I can't quit him. Uh, you know, he's going 138 now. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's going to go up um, by March just because of his, his talents. How high uh, are you
0: taking him? Let's say he has, you know, quality spring. And like you said, this is he's the premier type of guy, particularly in NFBC League, that gets pushed to the point where you're like dang that is way outside of adp but people that want to buy in on the power speed combo he had a 30 30 year down to triple a so what's the height at which you would still be buying kyle tucker
1: uh man you really put me on the spot uh well yeah oh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you this
0: his too early mock think- was a the, his height was 109 would you pay that price
1: Uh, yes. And then some, there's still, there's still a lot of profit in there. Still some room.
0: Okay. Yeah. You don't have to give away the full number because people are listening. Yeah, no,
1: I I think the number, I think the number would, uh, shock a lot of people. So uh, I'll, I'll be owning a lot of Kyle Tucker next year.
0: I'm with it. Uh, I don't think you should quit him. I'm not going to, uh, held him in two different leagues for quite a long time. This year It was bizarre that he really got kind of passed over. Obviously Alvarez, it made sense because Alvarez completely panned out. But he just kept raking in Triple A. Tucker did, and, and couldn't really get the call till later. I think I think he's going to get a full opportunity this year. Age twenty three, season could be very nice. How about some pitchers you're looking to invest in?
1: Well, you you mentioned one earlier, kind of in that Lance Land. I'm I'm all over Jesus Lazardo. Uh, yes, I, I blame Scott Jenstead. Uh He <laughs> he really really got me on him. Uh, he's just so awesome. Uh, to watch pitch he's just in control at all times at such a young age you know he's got a high heater he's got three great p- pitches like you know I, I was on him last year he got hurt uh, you know right right before the season which which kind of sucks um, yeah. uh, but I mean he showed it in the playoffs and at the end of this season uh, that his stuff is still there you know I trust the Oakland A's pitching staff you know and 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 how they develop pitchers so yeah, he, he's a guy that I'm
0: all over. I'm, I'm with you 100% there. Uh, I'm not going anywhere as far as Lazardo goes. Definitely paying the 179 and higher because it will go up as well. Yeah. Got no problem with that. Is there a second hitter that you're really interested in?
1: Uh, so I, this is another guy I can't really quit. And, and again, he's, he's basically free uh, with unlimited upside as far as maybe stealing a couple saves. Uh, but Seth Lugo uh it was going 372 uh, in these early drafts uh he went about 450 last year you know uh who knows how the closure situation gets played out i know people are still saying diaz is the guy uh lugo's their best pitcher by far and yes. i know that that you know managers like their best pitchers you know to, to, for those middle innings where they can uh, more so than the closer role now, but
0: well, th- this uh, won't be breaking news when people hear this because I'm gonna post this on Monday. But uh, they did just sign Carlos Beltran. And that that is nice. he, He's their manager, which I think is a great pickup. I'm excited to see what he can do as a manager. We have no idea what his closer tendencies would be, but Seth Lugo is a beast, and I agree with you. I kind of like him even in 15 teamers, even if he can't close, or even if he isn't like the full time closer, because you're gonna get some pitching saves, some pitching wins. And, like, 80 to 100 innings of quality work.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. If he stays in his role, he's got more chances for wins. If he if he goes more towards the back, you know, he's got more chances for saves. But I think the ERA and whip and strikeouts are going to be there. Um, and, it, you know, this is a total guess with the Beltron thing. But, you know, he, he was in Houston, you know, that last couple. You know, I know Houston kind of believes if you don't have that guy, just go with your best pitcher at the end of the night and play matchups. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe that opens it up for Lugo. Um, we'll see. You know, I, I, I'm sure many people will ask Beltron over the coming months as as far as how he's going to manage oh, and stuff like sure. that. So, so we'll we'll figure it out more tor- towards March, anyways.
0: The the beauty of a Lugo, he's so cheap that it doesn't really matter if it doesn't quite pan out exactly how you hope. Um, there's still value as a middle reliever. So, whatever way it whatever way it it goes with Seth Lugo. There's, there's upside to be had at picking him that late. So I, I like that pick as well. Uh, yeah, the, Dusty, go ahead. What,
1: what, one more thing to add on, Lugo. The, the the other thing I like about these middle relievers that that go two innings or whatever, you know, rather than searching out, this has kind of been a new trend, you know, that I've been kind of researching and been using the last couple of years, is rather than kind of go after some horrible one-start guy that you just mm-hmm. need, uh, a lot of these middle-inning relievers are getting four innings you know maybe in a week yeah okay it's not your typical five or six that you're used to but they're still getting seven or eight k's in those four innings you know you kind of have to play and be smart about it you know if he pitched saturday sunday okay he's probably not going to pitch till tuesday wednesday but if he hasn't pitched you know since friday okay it's more likely he's going to pitch on monday yes uh so you can kind of time the bullpens a little bit and kind of feel out whether or not he has a chance at four or five innings that week.
0: No, I think that's, that's a great, great point there. And, and something that I was doing a lot this year when I was looking to pick up middle relievers was checking their recent usage and loving when the guys that I really liked had gotten basically the weekend off. They pitched Friday only no Saturday, Sunday. Great. They're set up for a good week and you could have the super lucky week. You mentioned they get four innings. They could feasibly get two wins. If those are both yeah. in the seventh inning of a key game, they could, they could pop two dubs there. Along with the strikeouts and, and ratio, so I mean a lot of things can go right there. I really do like that. Seth goes definitely somebody I'm in on as well. Dusty, that's going to wrap us up here for our first of what will be multiple. We're going to have you back on here in the season, especially because I want to dive into each position with you. And so I think we can do a few episodes where we where we talk different positions, your strategy with them, and everything. But I wanted to get your get your feet wet here with your first one on the sleeper in the bus. Uh, why don't you let the people know where they can find you on Twitter and of course over at Arbor Pro.
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at Wagner, W-A-G-N-E-R, 13454. Uh, and then you can find a, uh, find me writing and any any type of articles on uh, arborpro.com.
0: Excellent. Well, I appreciate you being on. Uh, like I said, it will be the first of, of multiples, and we'll definitely be talking throughout the winter. And uh, thanks for being on.
1: All right. Thanks, Paul.